The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. North End just got back into the game. He's in motion. Wadley has a hole. Burst ahead. Hurdles into the end zone. Pater for the Hawkeyes for the first time. You got to do some different things with your formation and personnel in order to keep Michigan State on their heels. Racinos puts it through Iowa on the board. Gets to Spartans lead in half. Akram Wadley, the senior out of New Jersey. One of the best in the conference. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This is our new Reporters Notebook podcast featuring Scott Docterman, who looks back at the Hawks' loss at Michigan State and previews this week's Iowa-Illinois game. We also have a new feature this week, Hang Time, with former Hawkeyes punter and place kicker Ron Caluzzi, who joins the Hawkeyes Mike team. This week, we do a punting deep dive. I think you'll find it very interesting. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Illinois head coach Lovey Smith. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporter Scott Docterman of landof10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Jemeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of Fox with announcers Aaron Goldsmith and Brady Quinn. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeye's Mike programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. Iowa 3-2 and 0-2 and and in Big Ten play hosts Illinois, which is 2-2 and 0-1 and and in a Big Ten West Division game at Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City on Saturday. It's the Hawkeyes' 106th annual homecoming game. The Hawkeyes have defeated Wyoming, Iowa State, and North Texas while losing at home to Penn State and on the road at Michigan State. Illinois started the season off on the right foot by defeating Ball State and Western Kentucky in Champaign, but then lost at South Florida and to Nebraska back in Champaign. The Illini are surrendering an average of 427.5 yards per game to their opponents while gaining only 267 to 2. If you're counting, that's a negative disparity of 160.3 yards per game. Iowa won last year's game played in Champaign by a score of 28-0 after a five-year hiatus in the series due to conference expansion and realignment. That game was also Iowa's last shutout. Kirk Ferentz is the Dean of College Football Coaches in his 19th year as the Hawkeyes head man. Kirk's overall record is 150 and 115. His record at Iowa, 138 and 94. His 138 overall wins and 82 Big Ten wins ranks sixth among Big Ten coaches all time and second all time at Iowa. He's just five wins now from tying Hayden Fry as Iowa's winningest head football coach. Among Big Ten coaches, the only two who have been at their schools for 10 seasons or 
Moore, our Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald, 11, and Michigan State's Mark D'Antonio, 10. Illini head coach Lovey Smith is in his second season with Illinois, where his record is 5-11. He was previously a head coach in the NFL with the Chicago Bears and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. These key questions come to mind for Saturday's game. 1. After two tough losses, what is the mindset of Iowa's players coming into this contest? 2. Is it possible despite the 0-2 start in conference play for the Hawkeyes to somehow take this game for granted given how hapless the Illini are? And 3. Will the change at starting quarterback for Illinois be the spark that the Illini need to get things moving in the right direction again? Game notes this week. Iowa has a 57-43-5 record in homecoming games. It's won five of its last seven, including 29-20 over Illinois in 2015. Overall, the Hawkeyes are 6-5-2 against the Illini on homecoming. Iowa is 17-5 on homecoming since 1995 and 13-4 since 2000, including seven in a row from 2000 to 2006. Under head coach Kirk Ferentz, the Hawkeyes are 13-5 in their homecoming contests. Saturday's game will be the 73rd time Iowa and Illinois have faced off on the gridiron. The Illini lead the all-time series 38-32-1, but Iowa has won 11 of the last 14, 8 of the last 9, and 3 in a row. The Hawkeyes are just 17-18-2 and and versus Illinois at Kinnick Stadium, but they have won the last four played in Iowa City. The last time Illinois won in Kinnick Stadium, well, that was 1999 in Kurt Ferentz's first year as Iowa head coach. The Fighting Illini are one of the youngest teams in the FBS this season. They've started more true freshmen, 11, than any team in the nation. 19 true freshmen have seen game action, and they've had 19 first-time starters in their first four games, which is tied for second most in the FBS. There are 101 players in total on the Illinois roster, but just nine seniors and 16 juniors. On the other hand, there are 76 underclassmen, including 22 sophomores and 54 freshmen. 36 of those are true freshmen, 18 are redshirts. 41 players are newcomers to the roster in 2017. The Iowa-Illinois game will be televised by the Big Ten Network with announcers Brandon Gowden and Glenn Mason. As usual, it will be broadcast on the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak, and the game will also be available on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 195, and Sirius Channel 135. Depth chart updates. There were no changes on Iowa's depth chart from the Michigan State game, not even at punter, but you have to think that one's coming, and probably this weekend. Defensive back Manny Ragamba hasn't practiced this week, so Ferentz said his backup, Michael Ojemudia, would get the start again. Ferentz also said that safety Brandon Snyder has been cleared to play and will likely see action this Saturday after injuring his ACL in the spring. Snyder's return could significantly bolster Iowa's play at the safety position with him teaming up with new starter Amani Hooker. The big change for Illinois? Well, that's a quarterback where Jeff George Jr. is getting the start over Chase Crouch, who was demoted to number three after Illinois' loss at home to Nebraska. In Big Ten notes, the conference currently has three teams that rank among the top 25 in both scoring offense and scoring defense. Those are Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. No surprise there, really. An additional three schools are in the top 25 on total defense, Michigan, Michigan State, and Minnesota. And from last Saturday's loss at Michigan State, the Prefense Defensive Player of the Week, well, again, that's an easy choice. It was linebacker Josie 
jewel, but for Iowa's sake, it would be nice if that wealth could get spread around a bit going forward. Prefence hand sanitizer and surface protectant. Remember, the best defense is prefence. And T&K Roofing and Sheet Metal, the coach of the week? Well, that's also an easy choice. Two weeks running, it's defensive coordinator Phil Parker for constructing the defense that kept the Hawkeyes in this game until the end. T&K Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong, building safe since 1962. Great story. Compelling and rich. Look at the short side of the field. Pressure. Stays alive. And he loses it on the throw. Michigan State ball. Joe Bocci strikes again. Unbelievable. Stanley's able to avoid Cooper being able to pull him down with the sack. And the ball slips out in the back end. And it doesn't matter if it was a forward pass or a fumble. I mean, either way, it was going to be ruled a turnover because Bocci got his hands underneath. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about the Illinois quarterbacks. Crouch really, I'm just going back off memory, caught our attention last year, I believe it was in the Purdue game he came in and uh, really ran the ball effectively. So, you know, he, he uh, that's probably the best thing he does, quite frankly. I thought that was something he really uh, added dimension he gave us. George is more of a thrower. So we get to see him last year, and then he played the second half for most of the second half South Florida game. So, you know, he throws the ball well. They've got a couple uh, good receivers. They've got Dudak back, number 18 is a really good player. Number four is a good freshman. They've got some good skill players. And, you know, we don't have a lot of tape to base it on, but we'll have to just be ready for everything. And, and my guess is maybe be ready for multiple quarterbacks. Ferentz was asked about Nate Stanley missing on some long throws and Stanley's play overall so far through his five starts. Yeah, we've had some that have been really close. And uh, it's a long foul ball is what uh, most defensive backs call those things. But that that's just one aspect of improvement that we need to make. And hopefully we'll start connecting on a few those I like the fact that we're throwing it down there I like the fact that we've been close and you know at some point you got to start executing it though and uh, we've gotten away with some uh, but other ones you know have come back and hurt you so at some point uh, we need to start hitting those and it'll be a good uh, good thing it's just like anything else we just got to keep practicing and hopefully get that timing down that it takes we've all seen some of those near misses on the long balls the deep balls and uh, you like to think in time you're never going to hit 100% of those. That, that's probably not unrealistic. Uh, it's like three-pointers in, in uh, basketball. But, you know, th- th- we'll, we'll improve in that area. I, I've got every reason to think that we will. But, I, you know, I think he's done a lot of good things. He's made a lot of really good throws and some tough throws and done a lot of good things from the checks and all those types of things. It's just, you know, it's part of the process. And uh, there's certainly, obviously, uh, some plays that he would like to have back. And then, you know, how that affects momentum. And, and really, I alluded to the, the start of the game the other day. We did not start well offensively. And just as a team, we didn't start well the other day but you know if, if you can take away which you can't that's not football it's not you're not allowed but if we can clean up our, our ball security issues you know we had two opportunities there in the second half two drives get the ball down on their side of the field and you hope you come away with with points at least three points if not a touchdown that first time and then you know you got a chance for three or seven on the next one but those turnovers just kill you and those are really hard to overcome uh, in a game like that you know big 10 games are going to be tight they're going to be competitive and if you're turning the ball over it's like the nfl i mean you're just kind of a hard time unless you're that much better than your opponent it's hard, hard to survive those so and then what's that do to affect the momentum in the second half that's the other part of the equation none of us can ever answer I mean we'll never know the answer to that one but, but I just know from experience turnovers really they make the, make the degree of difficulty that much tougher you know so that, that's something we just got to focus on and we're, we're going to work on and that traditionally it's been something we've been pretty good at our bad teams have been good ball security wise hopefully that's not going to be we'll get this hopefully it'll turn Kirk was asked how much 
much leeway Nate Stanley has now calling plays at the line of scrimmage. A fair amount, a fair amount. You know, I mean, he can't play, you know, with handcuffs on totally, but uh, we're, we're probably not asking him to do as much as we will later in the season or certainly next year, you know, moving down the road, that type of thing. And my flashback moment to CJ was burning two timeouts on the goal line at Pittsburgh, you know, and uh, those things happen with young young quarterbacks. And I mean, it was in a goal line formation. It's only so many things going to happen on the goal line, and we still burned two timeouts. But I think it's just kind of uh, emblematic, if you will, or symbolic of, you know, what, what, what happens with young quarterbacks sometimes. So I think, I think Nate's done a pretty good job overall with that stuff, uh, handling things, feeling things. That, that should improve with each week, too. Parents expressed concern over his team's slow start and apparent lack of mental readiness at the beginning of the Michigan State game. I thought we got off to a slow start. You know, they, they took the ball and drove it right down the field. And, you know, it really doesn't matter. A touchdown's a touchdown. But to start the game that way is not, not the, what you're looking for, certainly. And we had that same issue up there in 03. We chose to kick to them uh, because of the wind, and they drove the ball 80 yards into the wind back then. It was, I don't know, yeah, well, we kicked the ball the end zone because we had the wind our back. But uh, they took it 80 methodically. I think they ate about eight, seven, eight minutes up off the clock and scored a touchdown. It, it's just kind of a demoralizing fact. And it, it's going to happen, so you got to come back from it and decide the game. But just uh, you like to start out with a little bit better tempo and, and you know, try to try to force uh, you know them to punt the ball and give you a little bit of better field position. And Ferentz talks about his defense's mantra of putting out the fire. That was Norm's uh, Norm's catchphrase, you know, put out the fire. And, uh, you know, Norm had a lot of them, but that, that's one that really kind of says it all. And that, that is your job on defense. You know, you just you can't predict what's going to happen. And I alluded to the opening drive. You know, that's the offense's job, come back and answer. And we've done a pretty good job uh, responding this year up until Saturday. You know, we, we weren't real good at that. But uh, that's a big part of, you know, games in particular. If you look at games, the ball gets turned over or, you know, a big kick return, something of that nature, a big play. Defense has to get back out there and do what they're supposed to do. They can't dwell in the circumstances. It's kind of kind of what our team has to do right now, too. You know, we're coming off uh, two disappointing losses. So, you know, we've got to, we've got to compartmentalize that and, and worry about doing well this Saturday. Next, we hear from Illinois head coach Lovey Smith, who talks about his team's problems the last two games. A similar tone the last couple of weeks. You know, there's some things we have to do better. It's as simple as that. And uh, all three phases. You know, with that said, we have some players getting better. But overall, just, you know, being able to put it all together to play a complete football game as much as anything. There were moments we had opportunities offensively, a couple of times down in the red zone. Need to be able to get touchdowns down there. Defensively, of course, we need to take the ball away, but we had a couple more opportunities to take the ball away. Uh, didn't finish the job on an interception that we should have, and a fumble that was on the ground. Those things really add up in, on a game like this. With that said, though, a lot of football left to go. We have to get ready for this week and put the best group together uh, to play football this week. Smith announced the change in starting quarterbacks and his rationale. We're making a change at quarterback position. You know, I, I believe in giving, you know, some positions you, you, you know, you try to stay the course as much as you possibly can, but you have to kind of look at what's going on in the field. There's a lot of things we're not doing right, but we feel like in order to take that next step, we do need to make that change. So uh, we're going to go through this week. You know, Jeff George has, has been the relief hitter for us. Uh, he'll be in that role along with Cam Thomas. So as far as quarterback, I know you have a million things asked on that, but I mean, that's what you need to know. There will be a change at the quarterback position. I mean, we don't give out permanent jobs. It's about a starting rotation for us. And in our starting rotation at quarterback position, 
we have Jeff Jarrett, and then we have Cam Thomas. Smith was asked for his assessment of this year's Iowa team. Well, uh, first off, they're a good football team. You expect that. You know what type of football they're going to play. Pretty traditional on what they do, how they would like to win football games. Have a system offensively. Now, we're not going to see a lot of hurry up, spray it, commitment to the run, but can pass the football. And on the defensive side of the football, a similar approach. Not going to do an awful lot, but just what they believe in and do it well, a commitment to that. So it's going to be that type of, of a Big Ten football game. I think they have two losses, but uh, those losses, you know, right down, you know, I think Penn State wasn't ranked in the top four, so uh, good football team, defending champs of our, our conference and all that. Played them right up until, possibly could have, you know, maybe even should have beaten them. And uh, even last week is that type of game. So we're going to play our best football. Going to play better football, of course, than we played all year. But we feel like we can do that. Again, there are a lot of opportunities that we've missed. We have to start capitalizing on those. And Lovey Smith talks about his defense and its performance, in particular, in the Nebraska game. Going back to the first half, I mean, you have opportunities. You know, we start off talking about playing hard and being physical. We didn't do that enough. And I'm talking about the play hard part you can control. Uh, and then there you're going to get in position to make some plays. And there are a couple critical times. Starting out the Nebraska game, first third down. I mean, backed up favorable situation third and nine uh, got to be able to get off the field there and we didn't first touchdown slant route it can't go to the distance those big plays these are some of the things you know eliminate the big plays and and a couple critical situations come up with a play and again we're not talking about the entire football team we have some positions majority of our football team they're trying very hard just need a few more to step up. I think we've gotten okay pressure, and I think that's going to only go up even more because of the addition of uh, James Crawford. James Crawford is an excellent defensive end. That's a legitimate outside pass rusher. And when you have, you know, Bell Cal like that, it should be more. We had to get in favorable situations to rush the pass a lot of times, and that's been an issue for us. Now the pressure is on Racinos. Season long, 44. This from 43. Some much-needed points going through the uprights for Iowa. One possession game, 17-10. Michigan State under 10 minutes to go from East Lansing. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings. Moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our weekly reporter's notebook. This week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at landof10.com. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at the Michigan State game and previews this Saturday's Illinois game discussing Iowa's punch list for success in Kinnick Stadium. Scott, before we look ahead to Iowa's homecoming game against Illinois, and it's a really critical Big Ten West division game for the Hawkeyes, let's take one last look back at the loss at Michigan State. It's an understatement by far to say Iowa's offense was challenged in that game, especially rushing. Yeah, I haven't seen an Iowa game look this poor rushing the football really 
uh, you know, almost ever, you know, certainly not with a, you know, with a bona fide running back and legitimate NFL lineman. I mean, to gain 19 yards, the lowest performance, in 12 years, two rushing first downs, you know, this is a, they're really struggling. Now I understand Michigan state is a run first, you know, it defensively is a lot like Iowa stop the run first, but the, there's just so many different components here that just doesn't add up for Iowa. I mean, you, you take away that touchdown run by Akram Wadley, they're in the, you know, the 10 yard range for the game. And that's just, you know, really kind of shocking. And then, you know, Iowa lost this game. You could point at little things here and there that cost them the game because uh, it was there to win and they weren't able to get it done. You know, a couple of turnovers, one inside the 10, you got to you allowed a couple of big plays early to the wide receivers, uh, field position, you know, penalties caught up with them a little bit, you know? So, I mean, all those things matter and they mattered in that game immensely. So I think I was in a position now where if it harbors any West division title hopes, it's got to really bounce back, you know, significantly and starting with this week's game, but, but throughout the whole season. So, and then even more so it's not about wanting to win more. It's about executing better running the football. So I think that's kind of where they are right now. And it's, uh, uh, you know, they're kind of in a dangerous spot. You talked about field position and punting was a big part of that problem last Saturday in East Lansing. Colton Rastetter has shown that from time to time he can get good distance on his punts, but he really struggled in that game, especially when he was kicking deep from inside Iowa's side of the field and, and put the defense multiple times in horrible position for Michigan State to start their offensive drives on very short fields. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, you, you take you know you take a look right after uh, Michigan State's first touchdown, and Iowa gets the ball inside you know the nine yard line. It loses three yards, and what you need from your punter, and we've seen it in the past when they've had good ones, and you know uh, Ron Kaluzzi being one of them you know ryan donahue was terrific and and some of the others eric guthrie uh is that they would change the the field they'd flip the field a little bit you know so instead of at fourth and 13 at the six maybe you you uncork a 60 yarder once in a while and then really put them you know on their side of the 50 and force them to go well instead you got a 36 yard punt that with the and it wasn't a very good one at that and and michigan state took over at the 31 scores another touchdown you just there wasn't a whole lot of help out of this. And I think that's where, you know, Iowa really struggled, you know, fourth and, you know, in the second quarter, you know, fourth and nine at the 10 and Michigan state takes over at the 42 of Iowa. So punting has been a major, and if you play ground acquisition football, like Iowa, uh, punting is significantly uh, an important part of that. And, you know, you don't want to have, you want to force them to, to go for one to two more first downs on a possession, not one or two less, which is what's happening now. The other thing, it appeared as if on many snaps, no matter what Iowa was doing at the line of scrimmage, if, if Stanley was audibilizing or whatever was going on, the Michigan State was jumping into the precise position that Iowa's play ultimately went, like there was some kind of tell going on Saturday. And that could have been the case. I, I think what made it worse for Iowa is the fact that its middle, its interior offensive line was getting beat so badly. Um, that's something that's rare. We never really see is kind of that bubble right off the, the snap where, you know, the guards and the and 
and the center were getting beat kind of into the handoff area, and then the running back had no room to maneuver. Yeah, they 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 knew something was up, but I mean, I think just also the the way that the slant of the of the offensive line dictates a lot of times where the ball is going to go, and they had free flowing linebackers who really attacked as well as as well as defensive linemen that won the line of scrimmage. So that really allowed for them to flow free to the ball, attack it, you know, and before Nacrimonley was able to get into space and it just, it, it, it killed the, the play even before it started. Let's turn to this Saturday. It's Iowa's 106th annual homecoming game. Illinois is a team that uh, is just uh, what the doctor ordered for most teams. They're giving up an average of 427.5 yards per game to their opponents and they're only gaining 267.2 yards per game. That's a huge disparity. It's They're one of the youngest teams in the nation this year. Uh, they've got problems on both sides of the ball. So let's turn to the punch list for Iowa's offense versus the Illinois defense. What does Iowa need to do to come out victorious Saturday? Iowa has to run the football and, and it has to get started doing this and and be relentless with it. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Illinois is one of the worst teams in the country in rushing defense. They ranked last in the Big Ten. They allow almost 180 yards a game. That's 91st in the country. That's something that Iowa can take advantage of. Now, Illinois knows that. Illinois knows that Iowa has struggled, and I'm sure they're, they're going into this game thinking we've got to stop the run. So Iowa's going to have to, in a, a battle of wills, Iowa's going to have to impose it. And this is something that needs to happen and happen fast for Iowa to be successful because it is a running football team. You know, you're not going to just automatically abandon the run and go to the pass because the numbers say Iowa has to be a running football team. When they run for 100 yards a game, since 2015, they're 23 and 0. When they 23 and 1, excuse me. When they don't, they're 0 and 8. So that those are numbers that you can't get past. That shows you what your team's all about. So I think number one, that's got to be your goal is to be physical at the point of attack up and down the offensive line. And then afterwards, be able to uh, to sustain drives. Now, uh, you know, secondly, you know, I think in total defense, they're giving up a ton of yards. I think that's where Iowa can, you know, make some bones in the passing attack as well. I mean, they're just once they establish the line of scrimmage, once they can run the football, then they can use their full complement and, and of, of plays. So, you know, so I think it all works kind of hand in hand there. Illinois is very, very young. I mean, they've, they've started a combined 10 true freshmen. This is, uh, you know, they're kind of more of the, the square one than they were even last year under Lovey. So I, I think it's, you know, that that's going to be a, a challenge for Illinois to, to prevent Iowa from running the football. They just, Iowa has to sustain drives and limit turnovers as well. Nate Stanley is stuck on the 12 touchdown passes. Stuck is sort of a odd word to use there because that still ranks pretty high nationally and in, in the Big Ten. You talked to, you asked Kirk at his press conference on Tuesday a little bit more about how much flexibility Stanley's being given at the line of scrimmage to audibleize and so forth. What's your sense of that at this point? I think he's being given a little bit more here and there, but, you know, they're still trying to keep it pretty limited, and I don't think he has a, a full, you know, assortment plays to, from which to choose, unlike C.J. Beathard, you know. I mean, you know, they especially when he's on the road, you know, he's at, um, you know, a, a hostile environment to some extent in Michigan State. It's a lot 
loud. Um, the defense is tough. You know, you, you want to make sure that, hey, you're not getting us into a bad call that's going to result in a turnover, a penalty, or significant loss yardage. So um, I think that's what you see with, uh, you know, kind of limiting what he can do. But they also are planning to add more and more to his plate as the season progresses. And, and so, you know, what we saw is – you know, I, I think after five weeks and five games, you know, my my opinion of him has been very high. I think he's a very good quarterback. And, you know, 12 touchdowns and one interception to me just says, you know, this guy is an ascending football player and has had a stellar start. And, you know, he's got a new complement of wide receivers. I mean, Matt Vandenberg wasn't there to practice with in the offseason because of his broken foot. And, and you have, uh, you know, some you know Nick Easley wasn't there last season. He was at Iowa Western and Amir Smith-Marset, you know, just so they really he's starting from day, you know scratch with a lot of these guys and i know he's overthrowing some deep passes but he's also connecting on some i think the only ones people seem to think that he throws are the ones where the receiver's starting to separate from the defensive back and he overthrows it but he's you know last week he made two really good uh passes along the sidelines one to smith marset and one to nick easley that were deep passes and and he's he put them right on the money where only they could get him so i really like the way he's playing it's just a matter of you know i think I think people need to be patient and i know that's hard because iowa fans aren't patient with anything but in this case they gotta be patient you know let it work you know i went back and i looked at ricky stanzi made his first start as a, a big 10 start on the road at michigan state as well back in 2008 and he had two critical turnovers in a 16 13 loss one of which was a, a, a fumble at the 12 and another one was an interception when i was at the five yard line and and so i i think they had both had about the same kind of game but Stanzi had 14 touchdowns that year and nine interceptions. Next year, he had 17 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. So what Stanley is doing and taking care of the ball, at least through the air, is, is remarkable. I just think people need to give him, be a little more patient with a brand-new quarterback who's pretty young and realize, okay, you're going to live and die with this. You're just not going to throw him out So because I think he's got a heck of a future on him. Let's talk about Akram Wadley a little bit. Wadley's just 98 yards shy of passing Sean Green and moving into the top 10 all-time in Iowa history in rushing and he's been a lot less productive since James Butler went down with the elbow injury and he seemed frustrated after the Penn State game said that was the worst game he'd ever played this Tuesday when the media got to meet with some of the players he was less talkative than he has been he did mention that the plan is to use Richard freshman Torin Young and true freshman Ivory Kelly Martin more in the backfield with him probably perhaps setting up some of the plays in the formations they ran when Butler and he were in the backfield at the same time what all is going on there well I, I think that's a direct result of what's not going on with the offensive line I think what we've seen the last two weeks is you know an offensive line that's getting beaten off the ball that's uh, losing one-on-one matchups that's getting creating bubbles in you know and losing more than one or two blocks on every and every running play and Akram Wadley like any other running back needs space I mean he's running for 3.8 yards per carry believe me Akram Wadley is not a worse football player today than he was last year or anything like that I've seen him make some amazing plays this year but you know but he's still only running for 3.8 last year it was like 6.4 and uh, he's not hitting some of those home runs because he's not been able to get started he's had a lot of you know runs for loss so um, and, and then I don't think there's really a correlation there with James Butler. I think Butler is a nice complimentary back, and I think on his own he'd be a very good running back as well. But there just hasn't been any holes. And, uh, you know, and I don't think there's enough.
enough there's enough uh you wouldn't want a, necessarily a power back to try to create him because i don't i don't think that would help you know torn young reminds me a lot of marcus coker you know big and physical and downhill runner but you know not necessarily the quickest guy and and i think you know when when they're having penetration even before they you know reach the line of scrimmage it's hard for any running back to make anything out of it and wadley you know has got the quickest feet of just about any running back i've seen at iowa just doesn't it hasn't been able to do it so i wouldn't blame it at all on him or lack of the other running backs in there it's just it's really all up front and i think they know it and uh, certainly kirk ferentz knows it and if it gets corrected you know then i think you'll see all three in there being effective if you don't you're going to see numbers like you did last week and coming into the season almost all of us thought that the offensive line was going to be a strength losing butker to the injury can't be everything that's going on there is it part of that a matter of sean welsh not playing not only is he nicked up but he's really not playing his strongest position either i think that's i think you're right i mean you look at boone myers and he's had a high ankle sprain since early camp and that's really affected him you know he is he's probably the most powerful blocker they have and uh, you know he could be on the outside as an anchor he could be on the inside you know pushing traffic and he just doesn't have that you know that either that strength or just you know that he's got a weakness there in his ankle that's really limiting him from what he wants to do and then you know welsh is much better inside he's he's a all-american candidate i would say at guard you know certainly an all big 10 caliber guard and yet here he is out of position and he's decent but he's not special the way he is inside and then you know even james daniels i think has gotten pushed around a little bit more and he was out the first game with an injury so i think there may be more to it there so you know injuries are just crushing them right now that's why but but even some of the other players who aren't injured uh need to come up and play a little bit more you know he can render and ross reynolds and you know they've struggled a bit alaric jackson so i think it's it's universal but i think the the challenges are can you get somebody healthy and play you know and be effective and if they can they'll be good if not it can be it's it can be a long season and then you mentioned it earlier and kirk mentioned it the importance of getting off to a fast start which has not happened the last couple of games and kirk also talked about what he perceived to be a, a lack of focus a lack of uh not be, just not being ready to go in that michigan state game that was some of it yeah i mean they just felt like you you walked in and and the way they played you know they played sluggish on defense obviously they went right up the field on them and you know in just a couple of plays there i mean first play of the game was a 31 yard pass they scored on a 21 yarder you know uh, it seems like that's been the case for a while now i mean penn state went up the field on them even north texas did and certainly iowa state had it you know its fair share of, of winning against iowa's defense so um they looked lethargic they moved the ball decently and then uh you know then they stalled and then so you, they just got to get over that and i saw something out of kirk ferentz this week i saw a little bit more intensity in his press conference and you know more of a of a strength you know appearance you know like hey playtime's over so i think that's kind of what you see out of the, out of him right now after this break scott talks the punch list for iowa's defense and special teams plus some big 10 
you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. Okay, we're back with Scott Docterman previewing the Iowa-Illinois game. Let's turn to the punch list for Iowa's defense to be successful against the Illini offense. The biggest change for Illinois coming into this game is their new starting quarterback, Jeff George. Yeah, I mean, you start with, uh, you know, a legacy player there. I mean, Jeff George was terrific back in the, uh, you know, in the late 80s. Um, you know, one of the strongest arms possibly in, in Big Ten history, you know, and that's kind of their success period back then, you know, with, under John Makovic and, you know, before that with Mike White. But, you know, I'm not so sure that he's going to come right in and do what his old paw did, you know, back in the day. So, you know, I, I, he's got some decent numbers, but they've got to be better than what they are. And that's really, I mean, you know, Crouch uh, was throwing it, you know, 107 yards per game. If you're going to do that, you know, you better run it for 400. You better be Air Force. And, and they're more like ground force right now. And, uh, you know, when you look at the overall, I mean, the passing offense, they're 113th. I think they're just looking for a spark. They're looking for something different on offense. And I'm not sure they're going to be able to find it. And and it's not that, I mean, I think they're too young right now. They're, they're, they really don't know what they want to be on offense. I mean, they brought Garrick McGee a few years ago from Louisville to kind of be a, you know, provide a dual threat attack on offense. And certainly Jeff George Jr. is not that guy. I just think right now they're, they need to do something. And that's probably, it's more, less desperation, more just the fact that they're looking for some sort of spark. And, you know, and, and he's got a heck of an environment to come to, you know, Noisy Kinnick Stadium to make that first big start. He's seen limited playing time so far this season, just 12 22 for 211 yards and one touchdown. He's thrown two picks, but the problem that Illinois has, or one of them, with taking Chase Crouch, their quarterback who started the first four games, taking him out of the picture, is that he's the team's number two leading rusher. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, and that's that's been part of it. You know, they just don't have, I mean, they have young running backs. You know, Mike Epstein is, you know, he's got, what, four touchdowns. And, you know, he's from St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, which is where uh, you had, uh, you know, I think Jake Rudock and James White. And, you know, he's, you know, who played at Wisconsin, you know, uh, Giovanni Bernard. So they've had some really good players out of there, Jerry, Joey Bosa, but, you know, he's just, uh, you know, he's still really young. And then Kendrick Foster, who was a guy who, you know, had been there for a while. He's a good athlete, but just they can't get any consistency in the running game. And then, you know, wide receivers, they've got they've got guys like Mike Dudek, you know, who, you know, a couple of years ago was great, you know, great slot type receiver, but, you know, they, they can't get him the ball. Maybe that's what they're hoping for is, you know, if they get a quarterback who can at least get him the ball, you know, even the way like Wes Lunt was able to, then then maybe they can be diverse a little bit because right now Chase Crouch could just could not get the ball to anybody in the passing game and and that wrecked the running game as well. Yeah, Malik Turner's out there as wide receiver too. He was all Big Ten honorable mention last year. They do have one plus certainly on the offense and that is that they're one of only two teams in the Big Ten, Maryland 
being the other that has yet to lose a fumble through their first four games. Well, Iowa would love to trade positions with them last week, that's for sure. But, you know, now they, you know, they've also gotten crushed in just about every area other than that. So, you know, 28 to what, six last week, and it wasn't that close against a not very good Nebraska team. They got crushed. They gave up, you know, just South Florida. So I think uh, that that's a positive, certainly, that they can take away. But I don't think it will do them any good if they can't do anything with the football. On Iowa's side, Josie Jewell has just been terrific. I mean, he continues to lead the Big Ten and his third nationally with 60 total tackles. Nobody else is even close. He had 32 tackles the last two games, but it seems to me one of the problems Iowa's defense had, and situationally it's been really solid, even in the two losses, particularly in the two losses. But Jewell had more than twice as many tackles as the other two starting linebackers combined, and ultimately that can't be the recipe for longer-term success for Iowa's defense. It certainly is. You want a real close ratio between the middle backer and the, and the weak side linebacker. I mean, the outside linebacker, you're not going to get as many. The tackles are going to resemble more of the strong safety just by the position, you know, playing out in the slot a lot of cases. But but those two interior ones have to be close, and they were. Remember, uh, you know, just a few years ago with uh, Anthony Hitchens and James Morris, they were like 1-2 in the Big Ten or 2-4 or something like that. And that's what you need out of this. So uh, to see Bo Bauer with 28 and to see Jewel with 60 is, is just a real disparity that they need to have corrected, you know. And, and of course, you're not going to say anything to Josie about, hey, slow down, let him get a tackle once in a while. But, but you know, you do need for your weak side backer to get there a little bit more frequently. And, you know, and Bo Bauer is a, t- uh, you know, a hard hitter. Um, I wouldn't blame either game on him per se, but but he does need to get a little bit more involved. And, and Josie Jewell certainly has. I mean, eight and a half tackles for loss, um, you know, an interception return, breakups. You know, if he uh, if he continues at this pace and close to it, you know, gets a couple more turnovers, maybe makes another big play. I mean, I think he's a first team All-American this year. Defensively, Iowa has three players right now ranked in the in the top 10 in sacks in conference play. And defensive end Anthony Nelson has really been solid in that regard. He's got four sacks already. And true freshman A.J. Epinesa, here we go again talking about him. He's tied uh, with Josie Jewell with 2.5 sacks apiece, and they're tied for eighth in the conference. Epinesa has four uh, quarterback hurries, too. He seems to get a lot of pressure on just about every snap. He gets out there. The only time he didn't was late in the game against Penn State. And after about two to three plays, you could just see that the fatigue had sat in, and he just wasn't able to get much of a, of a rush. He wasn't able to really get any kind of burst. So, you know, other than that, he has been, you know, everything and more I think you'd want. I mean, two and a half sacks is great, but, you know, just disrupting the pass game. That's what you need out of that guy. And, and uh, I think the sky's the limit on his upward ability and once he you know i mean can you imagine him in another year or two i mean two years from now where he's you know gone through all this and he's going to look back at his freshman year and go man i was so inconsistent because he's you know and then as you mentioned anthony nelson you know six seven sophomore you know with you know just you know four sacks five tfls i mean that's just impressive and then you know i'd we'd be neglecting parker hesse i think he's he gets kind of overlooked but he's a tough kid you know he's got six and a half tackles for loss i mean he's only got one sack but you know that's that's pretty impressive as well so you know they've got a good assortment there at the end i think that's 
good of a position as they have on the team right now. And maybe Epinesic would want to try playing two-way football because it looks like he can catch some passes. He'd be a pretty big tight end. Well, yeah, no kidding. I mean, you know what? If uh, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and you know, and it's easy to second guess, especially when something doesn't work out. But when you look at uh, what happened with that fake field goal that worked that worked out, it resulted in a first down inside the ten. But you know, with Colton Rastetter throwing the ball, he underthrew him so badly that he allowed the defenders to catch up to uh, Epineza. If that would have even been, say, Tyler Wiegers, you know, I think that's a touchdown. I mean, I think he gets it. So that's just uh, really, you know, I mean, it's too bad, you know, especially because they had the fumble on that possession. But I think, uh, you know, all things told, that that could have been a, a bigger play. One last comment on the defense. It's a, a, an amazingly speedy recovery, apparently, from the ACL injury for safety, Brandon Snyder, and he's cleared to play, and Kirk says he'll see playing time uh, in all likelihood this Saturday. That could really help bolster the safety position, which has struggled this season. I think Imani Hooker has come in since Penn State, and he's looking really good back there. And getting Snyder back in the mix with him, maybe in lieu of Miles Taylor, I think that's going to be a much stronger position for the team. I agree. I think if he can play to the level with which he played the end of last year, then that goes from, at the beginning of the year, being probably the biggest weakness on the defense to one of its better strengths. Because Imani Hooker, with two stars, and really, you know, came in midway through the North Texas game. He's already tied for fourth in tackles and just been really, you know, a physical player, been in the right spots, has shown no fear, done what his job. And and then, uh, you know, Brandon Snyder, of course, last year, he led the team in forced fumbles. He tied for the lead in interceptions, physical run stopper, leader, you know, very active. I mean, I think he solidifies a lot of the problems in the secondary, you know, and I don't know who's, I mean, the odd man out that in what I would think would be Miles Taylor. I don't know if that's the case, um, but I because I think Amani Hooker's outplayed him. But you know, it's hard to say. You know, he's built up a lot of equity in the program, so I don't know if that means he'll he'll play and Hooker will play some sparing reps. But you know, look for Snyder to play a lot. Maybe not this Saturday. Maybe just play some. But in two weeks, I can against Northwestern. I can see him playing a lot. And defensive back Joshua Jackson has been a really pleasant surprise. He leads the Big Ten right now and passes defended and picks. And it looks like uh, we might not see Manny Ragumba. On the field again this Saturday. Uh, he hadn't practiced at least through midweek, and that leaves Michael Ojemudia out there again. And Michigan State picked on him early and often last Saturday. They did early, no doubt about it. And later on, he got better as the as the game progressed. But I mean, by then the damage was done. And you know, in a game against Michigan State, you can't give up a couple of touchdowns and expect to be in a shootout. It's just not going to happen. So uh, he's got to be more prepared right off the bat. You know, Malik Turner and Mike Dudek present some challenges for him. But if he can, if he can play the way he did the final three quarters I think he'll be okay and and if not you know I mean Matt Hankins is kind of waiting around he's a you know true freshman uh, corner and uh, you know and I think you know it'd be in Iowa's best interest anyway to rest Rugamba no matter what since they have the the bye next week any quick thoughts on special teams we already talked about punting I wouldn't be surprised to see a change there Saturday and Miguel Racinos has done just about everything you'd want him to do in his first year starting yeah I mean I think he's been a really good upgrade and, and in some ways you think about it I mean what a what a find he was you know I mean you know anybody like that could have walked away last year you know he he was beaten out by a true freshman at that position and instead he stuck with it and he was more consistent and boom by you know this year he was much better in in the preseason and and he ended up taking that job so uh, I think he's been good you know one one area that they need to start improving on is is uh you know punt returns Josh Jackson made a couple of mistakes this last week I don't think they're critical but I think they are things 
things that need to change. You know, can't field the ball at the goal line. You know, that's just, you know, not conducive to what you want to do to win a game. So, but I think he's learned his lesson and I'm sure he'll um, improve from that. Weird stat for the Illini. They lead the nation in blocked kicks. They've already blocked two field goals and one PAT. It just hasn't done much good for them. <laughs> well, uh, I, I would take it if it, if it means they score about six or seven touchdowns and then they lose one extra point at him. Real quick at the Big Ten, biggest game this weekend is probably Michigan State at Michigan. But for the Big Ten West, the biggest game is probably Wisconsin at Nebraska. That has serious implications for both those teams, particularly the Cornhuskers. And the fact that Minnesota lost to Maryland in Minneapolis last Saturday doesn't do them much good either in, in the terms of the Big Ten West. It was a bad weekend for the Big Ten West. You know, I think right now you're looking at, you know, I think the Big Ten West has to try to beat down this, uh, you know, image that it's the inferior division vision of the of the league and unfortunately when Iowa loses to you know loses to Michigan State and Maryland beats uh, you know is able to to uh, beat you know Minnesota I, I think that shows you that there is some differences there you know before you had Michigan over Purdue and what have you you know in the West uh, this is an interesting dilemma I mean they're both undefeated you know Nebraska and Wisconsin they're the only two undefeated in the West but they did it by different ways and you know you look at Wisconsin and you know Wisconsin is a top 10 team they're legit Nebraska's beat beaten the worst two teams in the league, you know, in Illinois and Rutgers. So this is one way if Nebraska wants to get its season going, uh, win this game, I just don't see it. I, I think Wisconsin's so much better. It might be close for a while, you know, because it's a night game and I think Nebraska's won 20 or 21 in a row on night games at home, but magic there isn't going to isn't gonna solve the problems that the, the Badgers present. Back to Iowa, Illinois, time for your prediction and just a couple of quick questions. Is there any way that Iowa, the players, are going to overlook this game, everybody's talking about how bad Illinois is, and in spite of the 0-2 start, that you certainly can't afford that to happen. And the other question, I think you've written a little bit about it this week in landof10.com, is even if Iowa wins, what will that actually tell us? You know, I don't see them overlooking at them at all. You know, had they won last week and possibly upset in Penn State, then yes, it's an absolute real concern, you know, to overlook a team like this. But, you know, you see it, you sense an anger, a frustration about this team and, and they really need to pick it up as, as uh, you know, you're 0-2 in the league. And, you know, whether the, the championship goals are there or not, that doesn't matter. I mean, you want to win and you want to beat teams, and especially in your own division. So I, I don't see that at all. Now, there's a fool's gold element to this, especially if, let's say, Iowa goes out and runs for 300 yards on them, which is possible. Is, is that the real Iowa? Is, are, is everything fixed magically? Or is it just say, hey, look, here there's uh, Iowa is, uh, you know, got on track. I mean, I, I think that what Iowa needs, if Iowa does that, they have to say, okay, these are the things we did that are successful. Now we have to go do them against better teams, you know, consistently. And and if they have health, I think that'll be the case. So I I think this is a game where uh, Iowa just needs to mentally check in on both sides of the line of scrimmage and and then they should be successful. Score? I like Iowa to win. I'm going to kind of tone it down a little bit. I think I'm going to go with uh, 34 to 10. I think Iowa is clearly the better team. I think Iowa can score on two different fronts. Illinois' run defense has struggled. I think that's kind of an elixir for Iowa's ailment <laughs> to some extent, but I also think that the defense is playing well and they're playing against a really below average offense in, in Illinois, even with a new quarterback change. So, you know, I think 10 is being generous. Maybe 34 is as well, but I, I think Iowa's the better team. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. 
Michigan State, their first conference game of the season, and they win it 17-10 over Iowa. This is a huge momentum builder for the Spartans. Now for Iowa, they came into this one 11-1 in their last 12 road games, so a rare road loss for Kirk Ferentz and the Hawkeyes. 17-10, the Spartans get the victory today and approve to 3-1 on the season. Hawkeyes fall to 3-2. We're pleased to have former Hawkeyes punter and place kicker Ron Colosi joining Hawkeyes Mike as a regular contributor. You'll hear Ron's hang time features on both Reporters Notebook podcasts and quick hits in the coming weeks. And if you are an aspiring football kicker, punter, place kicker, or both, you can be schooled by some of the best at Colosi Kicking. Learn more at ColosiKicking.com or by emailing info at ColosiKicking.com. You can also follow Ron on Twitter at RonColosi16. Ron, we're glad to have you on board with Hawkeyes Mike and looking forward to some of our conversations. First, let's talk a little bit about punting philosophy. For the first time, really, in the last couple of years, you saw Iowa under Kirk Ferentz occasionally use a rugby-style punt as opposed to to the traditional punting style. Why is it, and under what circumstances do you make that decision, go traditional or rugby, and and who makes that decision? Well, uh, that's a great question, but you know, it, it all just depends on the situation, first and foremost. Last year, for me, when I was punting, there were a few games where it was more windy than others, and if the wind is in your face, it's generally harder to punt the ball traditional style so naturally you're going to want to do the rugby because it's more of a line drive approach that cuts through the wind and you know they they had a lot of trust in me last year so it was up to coach wallace uh, first and foremost but he would talk to me on the sidelines before uh fourth down so second or third down i'd I'd go over to him and we'd we'd talk a little bit about you know what we're going to do on the upcoming punt depending on where we were on the field and stuff like that it's a lot harder to do a rugby punt if you're a right-footed kicker or a right-footed punter and roll out to the right if you, if the ball's on the right hash so naturally you have less room and it's it's harder to get the ball where it needs to be cuz there's a lot greater chance of shanking a punt when you rugby punt unless you're you know you practice it a lot so <laughs> We did rugby punts whenever we were on the left hash or the middle of the field. And most of the time we would do it when we would have to punt into the wind. But there were a few times where, you know, I wasn't doing well that we can practice with pooch punts. And we found that my rugby punts were a little bit better rolling out and, and trying to get them pinned inside the, the 15 or, the, tw- or the, the 20. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's the call. It's, all depends on where you are on the field the weather and you know what happened that week in practice it's there's a lot that goes into it uh coach Wallace the the punting coach he he makes the ultimate decision but a lot of the times when I rugby punted or did a regular traditional punt last year he asked me what do you want to do and then we went with whatever I wanted to do so it's it all depends on what your your punter is comfortable with because you never want to ask a specialist to do something that he 
he doesn't really know or he's not confident in doing. Are there circumstances where maybe you're having an off day and aren't getting the distance you want on, on your regular punts and you have the chance to get more roll and thus more distance in a rugby style? Absolutely. When I was at Central Michigan and Iowa, there were a couple games where I just wasn't hitting the ball right. You know, punting and kicking is a lot like golf or being a, a hitter in baseball. You have to or no, you go through slumps, right? You go through times where, you know, you, you've been kicking for 16 years and there's just days where you're like, how the hell do I kick a ball today? You know, you, it's it's hard to explain, but there's some days you're just off. And rugby punting is a lot easier to result to when you're having those days. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I was at Iowa last year, I was very comfortable with doing a rugby uh, punt when we were about – 35 30 yard line on the opposite side punting punting away from our our end zone into the wind if we were in the middle of the field towards the left hash i never really liked punting a rugby punt when i was on the right hash because it gave me less room uh for error pooch punting you know i i always liked hitting it up in the air i didn't really like doing rugby punts when i when i needed to hit a pooch but there are sometimes a rugby punt last year where, where it worked like against iowa state and i think uh Ruckers, I had one that that it did work. So it all just depends on the weather and you know what you're feeling that day. I know for Rastetter, it's been a bit difficult for him, you know, getting into a groove, which is natural because he's he's so young and and so raw, and he's just trying to find his way. And rugby punting is the easiest thing to gain confidence because you just have to hit the meat of the ball and it's going to go. Although, you know, with a bad snap or blocking being an issue like if there are somebody to come off the edge and you have to rush a rugby punt it's a lot greater chance in shanking the ball so you know it, it all goes into play with what your punter is comfortable with but it does it definitely helps gain confidence you mentioned colton rastet or kirk ferentz in his weekly press conference this week for the second week in a, in a row expressed some concern about the lack of consistency he's had so far is that just a matter of practice how do you get more consistent a lot of it is is mental i mean when i was there last year uh colton had days where he was just phenomenal and you know he out punted me but that to me just comes with time comes with being more comfortable on the field comfortable with everything else that's going on you know there's a lot that can cramp your style or your your performance in a game it could be issues off the field in the classroom your family or maybe you're scared of kicking in front of people maybe you're scared of messing up for your teammates because you love them and you care about them and you spend all this time with them and you don't want to let them down. You know, so there's a lot of things playing into a player's mind, especially a kicker and a punter, because we get, what, maybe four or five punts a game, you know, and then for field goals, it's maybe three less than that, a couple extra points. So there's no room for error and when you miss or mess up the whole world knows about it instantly because there's this technology so that's known you know we, we don't like to think about it which is why I was kind of weird when it came to press conferences or you know my, my on-field performance I did things to distract me from all that I thought about things that made me happy like my dog or being on a beach or uh, my girlfriend at the time, or, you know what I mean? So there's, there's all these different things that go into play, but I know uh, Colton is, is a good punter 
for him, it's just getting more comfortable on the field and kind of taking a deep breath and relaxing and just know that it's not the end-all, be-all. There's going to be another day. The sun's going to come up tomorrow, and he's going to be just fine. You and I talked before we did this interview about how critical punting and kickoffs are for field position. Last year, in almost every game, your play made a huge difference in field position for Iowa. You've seen Miguel Racinos do a really nice job on kickoffs so far this year. Very few of them have had much, if any, returns. So that's, I'm sure, is even more added pressure every time, especially when you're kicking deep out of your own end, like Rastetter was last week. He had several punts that did not really have very much distance and left Iowa's defense in a huge hole with Michigan State starting on the Iowa side of the 50. Yeah, no, that that is uh, a big mental block, especially when you had somebody the year before, not trying to toot my own horn or anything, do well. You know, there's that, that added pressure of, hey, you know, you got to be like so-and-so, you know, you got to do this just like last year when so-and-so was playing. So, I mean, Miguel uh, has definitely done an, a phenomenal job so far this year. But, you know, it's, it's a credit to, to both of them because not only are they adjusting to playing this year and, and starting, but Colton and Racinos are both dealing with a huge element that no one has talked about yet. And it's probably the biggest thing for every specialist across the country. They got a new football this year. The Iowa football, Iowa team, Iowa's football team, excuse me, got a new football because the quarterbacks wanted a, a different style or a different type ball than, than the one C.J. Beathard liked. So they're kicking a whole different, you know, Nike Vapor Elite football. And it's, in my opinion, the worst football to kick or punt in college football because the, the sweet spot is very, very small. And when you miss, you miss by a lot. That is news. I don't think anybody's mentioned that. You're the first person I've ever heard talk about that. There's a lot of things that no one ever talks about because nobody understands kicking or punting. <laughs> Including Kirk. He says that quite often in press conferences. All right. Well, that's that's pretty interesting. So the quarterbacks decide which ball they prefer, right, on each team because each team has its own balls, yep. correct? It's the same way at Central Michigan. I went through two different types of balls when I was there because when we got a new quarterback, he just his hand fit better better with a different type of ball. It's just the way it is. I mean, are they ever gonna go to a kicker and punter and say, "Hey, which one would you rather kick?" No, you know, we're on the field for a couple plays a game. A quarterback is deciding who's gonna <laughs> put points on the board or not. So yeah, it's kind of like, "Hey, this is what you get. Deal with it. Learn to adapt or struggle." And I know. Colton and I had a little bit of a conversation when those new footballs came into play, and he said it's it's different, it's hard to adjust, but I'm trying my best to get used to it. Let's uh, just talk a moment. Iowa ran a fake play last Saturday at Michigan State, took everybody by surprise. Kurt doesn't really run many of those traditionally. It resulted in a first down when Rastatter tossed a pass to, uh, of all people, A.J. Epinesa, who was lined up as a tight end in that formation. Who calls those plays? I, I'm assuming you're, those are practiced during the week and then is that the whoever's going to handle the ball first the punter or the uh, the holder on, on a field goal attempt based on what they're seeing with how the other team is lined up yeah it all depends on the situation if it's a, a field goal the captain or the the leader of the group rather is uh, the holder you know just like the quarterback is for the offense and depending on how the defense lines up the holder makes the judgment call of hey let's run it or hey no let's kick it or you 
you know, if instructed to do so, you call timeout and live for another day. But for punting, you know, that, that goes to the, uh, uh, depending on what Coach Wallace calls, but more often than not, it's the, the personal protector right behind the shield. So, you know, how you got the shield, two people, and then one behind. And for me last year, it was Drake. Drake Kulik was my, my PP, my personal protector. He would call all the cadences and suits and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure it hasn't changed since I left. But, you know, that that is the... Uh, that comes to the personal protector's decision whether or not they're going to run a, run a fake or not. And then the, the punter, you know, listens. Although sometimes it's difficult, you know, when you're playing in front of 100,000 people to hear the personal protector and you kind of have to, like, walk toward them and yell back at them, what'd you say? You know, but, yeah, it's, it's up to the personal protector for punting, the type of scheme that the defense shows, and then the holder for field goal and the type of scheme that the, the defense the defense shows. Before we let you leave this week, you run a kicking academy. Can you tell people what they need to do to contact you or to find more information out about it? Yeah, go to uh, either my website, www.kaluzikicking.com, or shoot me an email at ron at kaluzikicking.com. They can also follow you on Twitter? Yes, they can also follow me on you know any any social media platform, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I don't have a Pinterest yet, but I'm working on it. All right, I'm out of here. Uh, I hear that Asteroids machine calling my name from the game room, so peace. On fourth and eight, Rastetter, the puncher throwing behind, and the catch is completed inside the 10. little trickery from the Hawkeyes. A.J. Epinesa, you get a little misdirection, all of a sudden it's a throwback to the eligible tight end. you got to love the design, you got to love the fact that Kirk Ferentz wasn't concerned at all about being down and just trying to get points, being aggressive. Safe to say the first career reception for Epinesa. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to Fox for the game highlights this week. Thanks, as always, to Scott Docterman, and thanks to Ron Caluzzi. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 11 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor is well really a lot of hustle i liked it this has been a presentation of hawkeye's mike llc